0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for joining me again. Today, I want to go a little deeper with something that we talked about last week regarding visualizing. The Bible calls it calling into being things that don't yet exist. Now, up front, I want to tell you, I'm not trying to get you to believe what I believe. This is a mystery to me that I don't have full revelation of yet. I'm in a process of learning, of coming to understand some revelation that I'm getting, not trying to convince you of anything. I am going to give you some experiences from Scripture, from today, and from my own life, and hopefully we'll learn and grow together. Last week in my teaching, we had some legitimate questions afterwards, and believe me, I really appreciate you all contacting me and saying, I don't know about this or what about that or whatever. And we especially had some questions about some things I referenced from my good friend Mike Popovich, who's in Colorado Springs. He's helped me and a lot of people on this in some great ways, and I said, y'all, I'll talk to him about this, and I'll tell you what he says, and I'll pray about it, and We'll talk about it next week. So here's what we are. And basically, I wrote to him and I said, regarding visualizing and calling things into being and seeing the promises of God in advance, what does it mean when somebody doesn't experience those? What does that mean? How do we understand that? Now, here's what he wrote me back in part. I'm not going to read all of it to you. And he said, look, I went to Bible school in probably one of the poorest cities in the world. And one of the most violent cities in the world where, for example, children were regularly kidnapped and killed by ritual killers. He said, but things happened there that have changed my mind and have given me so much belief in Christ in us. He said, although all of this was going on all over the city we were in, the pastors were showing the people there, you can rise out of this at any time. He said, businesses were being created where there were no businesses. He said entire buses of kids would be stopped by the ritual killers, and the three kids from the church were let go. Testimony after testimony of these little kids saying the ritual killers pointed at them and simply said, let these three go. Now, I want to stop right there with that. Some of you, and initially, I saw that as a big red flag. I mean, w- wait a minute. What what does that mean about the kids that were murdered was Christ not in them? Does that mean God only favors those who believe like that church believed? Do you have to belong to the right church and believe the right thing in order to get God's blessings? I was pretty quick to judge that teaching without going a little further. Mike went on to write, As you have heard me say, the first testimony I heard there was the pastor telling the woman, Do you want to have a baby? She wanted to have a baby, but she didn't have a uterus. So she'd been praying for a uterus. The pastor said, Do you want a baby or do you want a Uterus. Nine months later, she had a baby. He said, Nothing was impossible to these people. Things were almost a challenge to them. He said, It's because I saw with his own eyes the impossible in impossible situations is what gave me the belief I have now. He said, Either all things are possible to him who believes, or, in his opinion, we're just playing church. He said, The people in that country knew that Christ was in them which inspired me to no end. He said the pastor there, when he first met him, he said, we raise the dead like you Western people by loaves of bread. He said, we don't even think about it. We just do it. Well, I want to look at his response from scripture. I appreciate very much him responding to me. I want to look at his response from scripture and from my own experiences. I'm not making a doctrine here. And of course, you feel free to not agree with me on any of this. No problem with that. But do stay with me because it may seem to you in the beginning that I'm coming to a certain conclusion and you may be surprised. Now, because of this, if you have questions with this or whatever, write them down. Please write them down. If I don't cover them during our time together, then email me or those of you who know me personally, call me, get together, and we'll talk about it. All right here, first from Scripture, Romans 4, 17. The Apostle Paul writes, Abraham believed that God, who gives life to the dead, also calls into being things that do not exist. Many of you have probably heard that scripture. I want to do the surrounding text. This is from the Passion Translation, Romans 4, 16 to 20. Paul says, the promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift. And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham, and that's us. He said, this promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also to those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. He said, that's what the scripture means when it says, I've made you the father of many nations. He's our example and father, for in God's presence, Paul said, he believed that God can raise the dead and call into being things that don't even exist yet. Against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable, physically, humanly, incapable of conceiving a child. Verse 20 and 21. He never stopped believing in God's promise, for he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. Faith. Now, that faith we know is the faith of Christ in us. When Abraham was 100 years old, his wife was 90, they had no kids. God told Abraham he was going to give him a son. And they'd have so many descendants, they couldn't count them. Ten years went by and it hadn't happened yet. Physically, it was humanly impossible and hopeless. But Abraham believed God and God did the impossible. Now, why is that story in Scripture? Just to tell us what happened, just to give us a historical account? I don't think so. I think it's there in large part To tell us that when God gives us a promise today, even when it seems impossible physically with our five senses and what's going on in the world, when he gives us a promise, he will do it. And he wants us to see it in advance as already done. Many of you know Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith chapter. Verse 1 says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not yet see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the five senses. It hasn't manifested yet physically. Yet, again, this is the faith of Christ, not faith we work up, the faith of Christ that's in us regarding the promises of God. One day, you may recall this story, Jesus was approached by a man whose son was in very bad shape, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the man said, please, Jesus, if you're able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, I believe with a twinkle in his eye, what do you mean if? If you're able to believe, all things are possible to the believer. When the man heard this, he cried out with tears and said, well, I do believe, Lord, but help me with my little faith. Now, 2 Corinthians 1, 18 to 20 in the mirror helps us with this. Paul says God's certainty is our persuasion. There's no maybe in him. The son of God, Jesus Christ, whom I, Paul, boldly announced in you is God's ultimate yes to mankind. Human life is associated in all that he is. Now, listen to this. In God's mind, there exists not even a hint of hesitation about this. In him, in God, the detail of every single promise of God is fulfilled. Jesus is God's yes to your total well-being. In our union with him, the amen, that echoes in us and gives evidence to his glorious intent through us. Traditional verses there say, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Now, in recent history, most of you know, there's been what uh, has sometimes been called the faith movement. Critics of it call it, name it, and claim it. Is there truth to the faith movement? Of course. Are there abuses and misunderstandings of it? Well, sure. What should we believe about the faith movement or about faith in general. I'm going to tell you, you can take this to the bank. Listen carefully. You should believe what God tells you. Not what I tell you. Not what Mike Popovich tells you or anybody else. You should believe what God tells you. God told Abraham God was going to do the impossible. And he did. God told Jesus, the human being Jesus, who was fully man, that he was going to be crucified and God was going to raise him from the dead. And he did. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about people, ordinary people like us, whom God promised things to, and God fulfilled those promises. In the first 31 verses, the writer tells us about these well-known heroes of faith, the hall of faith people. Then in verse 32, the writer says, I think it was David, but we don't know for sure. The writer says, what more could I say to convince you? There's not enough time to tell you about the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, the faith of Jesus, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice, making all things right for all people. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouth of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. In their weakness, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm, the invisible realm, into battle array. Verse 35, faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Wow. I mean, talk about amazing faith, amazing results. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my personal question, and many people's question. What about those who believed God's promises, and it didn't happen for them? Their promises didn't come true. We all ask that question, don't we? For me personally, 11 years ago, I believed that my son-in-law, Brandon, was going to be healed from cancer. Instead, he died 29 years old. What does that mean? Let's go a little further in Hebrews 11. He says, yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured. They didn't deny their faith in order to be freed because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. Verse 36, others were mocked and experienced the most severe beating with whips. They were in chains and in prison. Verse 37, some of those faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, being sawn in two, or slaughtered by the sword. Do we always, if we believe it's going to happen, get to live in mansions and wear $1,000 suits or dresses? He said, these people lived in faith as they went about wearing goat skins and sheepskins for clothing. They didn't even have enough money to get clothes. He said, and I'm asking, is our bank account always overflowing? He says in Hebrews, no, those people of great faith lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions. Now, not all of them, but some. And they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth living in a desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, and in holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them, not realizing who they were. Verse 39, he said, These were the true heroes commended for their faith. Yet they lived in hope, get this now, without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. They lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised to them. They didn't get what they hoped for. Well, what's up with that? Well, get this now. Sometimes in this life, things that we believe, things that we hope for, things that we've heard God promise us don't happen yet. Verse 40. But now God has invited us to live in something better than what they had, faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finished perfection alongside of us. Now, when he wrote that, it's after the cross. See, whenever scripture says, but God, or, but now, God, we want to pay careful attention. What is this faith's fullness that these heroes, giants, Hall of Famers did not have? What does finished perfection mean? Well, here's what God is showing me. This is not a doctrine. This is my experience. Finished perfection is Christ's finished work at the cross. It's finished. We have all been made right with God. We have all been saved. That word in the Greek is sozo, meaning we have been made whole in every way. We've all been included in God's family. We have all been healed. We are all more than conquerors. We are all pure, right with God, faultless, perfect, one with the Trinity, and just like Christ is in the world. That's who we are and what we are. Most people have no clue to what that means. None of us know the fullness of what that means. We're all growing in grace. Some of us will experience God's promises here today in this life in the physical realm. Some of us not until we have eyes to see the unseen, but internal realm. Did my son-in-law Brandon die physically full of cancer? Yes. Is he alive now in a perfect body with no disease, no pain, Perfectly whole, no tears, which is what saved means. You better believe it. So here's my take. When God promises something, you can take it to the bank and from the bank, like we talked about it last week. Will you get to enjoy God's promises in this life? Will you get to enjoy God's promises in this life? Will you? You get to enjoy God's promises in this life. That's up to you. Here's what I mean. You can enjoy it in this life, even when it doesn't get manifest in the physical. Second Corinthians 4, 10 to 18. Paul said, we continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. We consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. So then death is at work in us, but it releases life in you. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the Old Covenant Scriptures when it says, first I believed, and then I spoke in faith. See, when you hear a promise from God, believe it. Speak it. Visualize it. Imagine it happening. Do it with gratitude. Imagine what it feels like to experience it happening. And you can, in your mind, in your spirit, Experience the joy and gratitude of it before it comes into the physical existence of your five senses, the physical realm. You can visualize it and imagine how you feel. You can enjoy it in this life even when it hasn't yet manifested physically. I know that to be true. So, we also first believe and then speak in faith. Words are so powerful. Scripture tells us this. Now, quantum physics has confirmed it scientifically. Verse 14, Paul says, We do this because we're convinced that he who raised Jesus will raise us up with him, and together we'll all be brought into his presence. Is my son in law, Brandon, alive now? Of course. I can see that. I can visualize that. I can enjoy that. I can see how happy he is in the great cloud of witnesses, witnessing to me what he knows right now. Yes, all things work for your enrichment so that more of God's marvelous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an even greater increase of praise to God, bringing God even more glory. See, people are drawn to God. When they start to see and experience God's grace in you, when they see you not worrying, not being anxious, not being depressed, when they see you experiencing and enjoying God's promises, even when they haven't yet manifested, that gives people hope. Complaining, believing the worst, speaking gloom and doom does not attract anyone to God, does it? Verse 16, Paul says, so no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. Verse 17, we view our slight, short-lived troubles, and you've heard me teach before. I mean, (laughs) Paul's things were anything in our opinion, but slight or short-lived. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance, remember that word substance, we see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Hebrews 11:1 Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. All right, back to 2 Corinthians four eighteen, And I'll go with 17 again. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity— We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. What we focus on, what we think about, what we dwell on, What we imagine to be true is the key. In Scripture, God has promised that he's already given us all the riches of the heavenly realms. He's promised that we are one with him. He's promised that we're already seated in the heavenly realms. He's promised that he's given us everything for life and godliness, as we talked about last week. He has promised that as Christ is in the world, so are you. He's promised that we have already eternal life with and in him. All of those promises are true and amen. For us to benefit from those promises right now, of course, we have to believe them. We have to focus on them. They are true. I know they're true. I benefit from them. Somebody who doesn't yet know the good news of those promises are true doesn't yet benefit from them. You know how I know that? I didn't used to know them. I didn't used to believe them. So I had no benefit from them at all. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying, I am not saying that God's promises will always be fulfilled in this human life. I'm going to give you some examples. About 15 years ago, I broke my collarbone. I tore the ligaments and the tendons holding my shoulder together. I was instantly in excruciating pain, and I went to the ER. I had x-rays. Then a couple days later, I went to doctors and to surgeons, and they put my arm in a sling and scheduled surgery and said, if we don't do this surgery, you won't really have full use of your arm after that. And they said, you know, really, it's only a 50-50 chance then. I couldn't raise my arm. I couldn't do this. I couldn't put my arm behind my back. I couldn't lift stuff with it for anything, and it looked bleak. Now, before surgery, it was scheduled, but a week before, I went with a friend of mine to some meetings in Florida, and I heard during those meetings, they were spiritual meetings, I heard God say that I was healed. I didn't tell anybody. On the plane ride home, I heard God say, take that sling off, throw it in the trash, you're healed and you don't need it anymore. Well, I had a decision to make. I believed, I obeyed, I took the sling off, I threw it in the trash, I had no pain, I had full range of motion, and I could use it exactly like it was before it was broken and torn. It still today, 15 years later, looks like it's broken, x-rays show it's broken, and doctors have said, you shouldn't be able to use that. They took the x-rays just a couple of weeks ago and said, raise your hand up over your head, and the doctor went, You shouldn't be able to do it. Put it behind your back. You shouldn't be able to do that. He said, I'm going to push down on your hand as hard as I can. Resist it. He said, you shouldn't be able to do that. Well, I can. Now, would I have experienced the no pain and full range of motion if I hadn't believed, if I'd have kept my sling on? Would I have experienced what I did? I don't know. All I know is what happened. What I do know is I believed and I obeyed and I experienced. And I've been fine for over 15 years. Just recently, I started having some tingling there. Went to the doctor. He sent me to the ortho surgeon. He took the x-rays. He did all these things. And he said, wow, it's still broken. You shouldn't even be able to use it. He said, let me give you some topical cream, which he did. Very inexpensive. I put it on twice a day and the tingling went away. Years ago, I had fibromyalgia brought on by a car wreck. I was legally disabled for three or four years. I got disability checks. I had a disabled license plate on my car. I had to retire early from the Army Reserves medically. And the doctor says, and it says this today about fibromyalgia, you can't heal from it. You can only treat the pain. Different people prayed for me. I had faith. Nothing happened. Then one day, a guy came to down. A traveling rock and roll musician who played 1950s rock and roll tunes, but changed the words to Jesus' words. And after church, when he was here, just getting ready to go on to the next town, and he knew about my situation. He said, do you want to be healed from that? And I said, well, of course I want to be healed. He said, well, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to be healed from it. for some reason, I knew when he prayed, I was going to be healed. And I was, instantly. Now, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed by a pulmonary specialist doctor as having pulmonary fibrosis. He said, don't even look that up because you'll be depressed. He said, there's no cure for it. We can help you live with it for a while. Then he told me to do a bunch of different things that took a lot of effort and energy. And he said, hmm, you shouldn't be able to do those and still have a satisfactory oxygen rate. He said, I I wouldn't believe you could do those if I hadn't seen you do them. He said, until I saw you do those things, I was ready to put you on oxygen now. But he sent me home with a little monitor to put my finger in and regularly check my oxygen level. I was depressed and dejected for a few days. I told my wife and my kids, my son, who's a physician assistant, was especially concerned. And I prayed and I heard Papa say, no worries. I got this. You don't have pulmonary fibrosis. I believed him. My oxygen level has been perfect ever since. What would have happened if I didn't believe? I don't know. But I do know that if I hadn't believed and hadn't seen myself as healed, I'd still be worried and concerned and depressed and I'd be living like I still had that. I wouldn't have enjoyed the health that I have. Had another doctor check me after that and he said, you don't have pulmonary fibrosis. Now, let me give you another example. I have also had back pain for over 40 years. I still do. I still do things to strengthen my back, not as religiously as I should. I want my back to be healed, but it's not yet. What's up with that? I don't know. I've been totally healed from other things that have manifested already in the physical realm. And with my back, it hasn't manifested yet. So here's my question. How should I judge my faith How about you? How should you judge my faith? Should you say, well, Paul had enough faith before, but he didn't have enough faith now. How should you judge anybody else's faith who has things happen sometimes, but not other times? I'm not condemning anybody or preaching at anybody. I'm talking to myself. If it benefits you, great. I prayed about that this week, and here's what Papa said to me. He said, Paul, remember, the apostle Paul had been treated like a king, like a god. He'd been worshiped by people who thought he was a god. And then a few minutes later, people turned on him and tried to kill him. He'd been shipwrecked and beaten, stoned to death and came back to life. He was whipped, which should have killed him. He was attacked and violent and mobbed with people pulling him apart and in prison. And he also had a thorn in his side that never left him, whatever that was. You said, remember when Paul wrote what I'm going to read to you now, there were other people in prison who most likely did not experience things the way Paul did. Philippians 3, starting verse 6. Paul says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. I understand that to mean Tell God how you would like things to be, view them as being done, and thank him in advance that he's done it. Goes on to say, tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Traditional versions say, the peace of God which surpasses all human comprehension and understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What God shows you most often will not line up with human understanding, our five senses experience. It will come from your heart, your spirit, in the unseen eternal realm. Verse 8, I get this. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, real in the unseen and eternal realm. Keep your thoughts fixed on what is honorable and admirable and beautiful and respectful and pure and holy and merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. So rather than worry and be anxious and go, well, if it's your will, God heal me, but that means really I'm not expecting anything. No, don't believe the bad reports. Instead, tell God what you want. Offer your faith-filled requests, thank him in advance, and then fix your eyes on Jesus and his finished work and what God shows you personally. Verse 9, follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Paul says, my heart overflows with joy when I think of how you showed your love to me by your financial support of my ministry. Even though you have so little, you still continue to help me at every opportunity. Now we're getting down to, we're shucking down to the cop. Verse 11, he says, I'm not telling you this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be satisfied in every situation. Verse 12, I know what it means to lack, And I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance, for I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. We can train ourselves to do that. Sometimes we're going to experience lack, like Paul did. Sometimes we're going to experience overwhelming abundance. Here's the secret. When things don't seem to go our way, know and believe that you have in you and for you the strength of Christ-explosive power that infuses you to conquer every difficulty. Know it's finished. Know that God's working all things for the good. Know that you will ultimately experience abundance. Believe that. Don't focus on what you see with your five senses in the physical realm. Focus on the unseen. Visualize what God has promised to you personally. Give Him thanks for it. Think about it. Visualize it being done. Picture what it feels like to have it already. Think about emotionally how it feels to have what you desire and have asked for and God has promised you. And you will experience the substance of things that are true but may not yet have appeared in the physical realm. What about people that don't get what they visualize? like those in Hebrews 11, in the Hall of Faith. They just simply haven't yet seen it in the unseen realm. Don't criticize them for not having enough faith. Don't criticize yourself. Paul didn't have enough faith to believe that the thorn in his side was going to be taken away. Don't think that God doesn't favor people who aren't getting well or whatever. Just see that, like you in some areas— they don't yet see it in the unseen realm. Here's what Paul said about himself and us. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and 13. He said, now we see, but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries, as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. He said, my understanding is incomplete now. This is a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He said, but one day I will understand everything, just as everything about me has already been fully understood until then there are three things that remain faith the faith of christ hope hope that what god says he's going to do and love and of course love surpasses them all folks our understanding is incomplete now but one day we will understand everything faith and hope are super important love is the most important So what about Mike Popovich and the church in Africa that saw and experienced all kinds of miracles, but other people there may not have experienced the same miracles? How do you judge Mike or the church in Africa or the not yet believers there? Don't. Just don't judge. Exercise Christ's faith in you. Have hope that God's promises are all yes and amen have the understanding that we may not yet see things physically manifest, but they have manifested in the unseen and eternal realm. And as we see that and give thanks for that, we can experience to a certain degree what we can't yet see in the physical realm. Our mind literally can't tell the difference when we imagine something and envision experiencing it and what is actually happening. Above all, experience and love people, even if they see faith differently than you do. Hey, everybody, I hope this is helpful to you. Let me know your thoughts. We'll see you next time. This is Paul Gray saying, Grow in Grace. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.